Alright, we gotta do this again. Okay, disclaimer. The following anime is currently out of print and not commercially available here in America. So you're gonna have to watch this one... By other means. Should this get a re-release here in America, it is your job as an anime fan to buy the DVDs, stream it legally, and support the U.S. anime industry. And with that, on with the show. This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 34. Mad Bull 34. Hit and Rape. What is up, anime fans? Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show. The anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week is William, a.k.a. Lord Crab. Hey there. And new to the show... Uh, hey, I'm Adam. Uh, Adam is a Joker. What's up? Hi, uh, good to meet you, Mr. Adam is a Joker. Welcome to the uh, show. And oh boy, do I have to apologize for having this as your debut episode, because today we are going to tackle the notorious Mad Bull 34, released from 1990 to 1992 in four 45-minute OAV episodes by Magic Bus, based on a manga by legendary Gekiga Movement author Kazuo Koike and artist Noriyoshi Inoue. The director of this was Satoshi Dazaki. And no, you are not hearing a mistranslation or mispronunciation. Satoshi Dazaki is the older brother of legendary anime director Osamu Dazaki. Satoshi made his name more or less in doing key animations and storyboarding, and I don't want to say his directorial output was nothing but crap. He did make some good things, and some not-so-good things, including the anime adaptations of Rikio and Wounded Man. But he also worked on the Urusei Yatsura OAVs, my boy Race's favorite, Grey Digital Target. I think perhaps the best thing he ever worked on was the sci-fi movie They Were Eleven, which I did watch and I can say is quite good. But before we begin, does anybody want to explain what the premise of Mad Bull is? So, Mad Bull 34, let me put it to you like this. If you have seen any B or C grade action film from the 80s, or like say anything from canon films, for example, then you've seen Mad Bull 34. But uh, if you want to know what the real, what the actual premise of Mad Bull 34 is, uh, it takes place in New York and it follows the main character, or one of the main characters, Daisaburo Eddie Ban. Uh, a young, new recruit for the police, uh, and he joins the 34th Precinct, one of the most roughest, toughest precincts in New York, and he is partnered with, of all people, Sleepy John Estes, a.k.a. Mad Bull. Uh, and calling Sleepy a loose cannon is putting it really, really light. Uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. It's, uh, it's a great love letter to like late 80s, early 90s action movies in the best or worst way, depending on the, how you look at it. And then you got Mad Bull, who's, you know, just a stereotypical American police officer. Yeah. Like I said about, um, about Sleepy, he is a loose cannon. And in the fact that he is perfectly okay with, you know, doing loose cannony things, uh, being rough with uh, criminals and suspects, disobeying orders quite often, and other things. I don't know. We're gonna, I don't know if we're going to talk about. I mean, I know we are, but I don't know if we'll do it as we'll try and do it. Talk about them as lightly as we could, so to speak. Oh boy, this is going to be quite the sticky episode in more ways than one because. 
much like you, William, I have mixed feelings about Mad Bull. But before we begin, where did you guys first hear about Mad Bull, and uh, what were your impressions of it? Uh, for me, I've heard of Mad Bull on and off for years. I've heard, I think I've heard about it while scavenging Anime News Network, like I always did. Like I always did. I've also remember reading a review about it on them. I think it was this website called Them Anime Reviews. Yeah, or them, them, them Anime Reviews. You're correct. Oh, okay, good. All right. Uh, but I've never had much of an interest in watching this show, probably because for obvious reasons, but just never got around to watching it until just right now for this episode. And without going into too much detail, your thoughts? Um, well, I know that the show has had a reputation for being so bad it's good. I don't know if I would call it so bad it's good. I'd just say it's just not great. Adam, where did you first hear about uh, Mad Bull, and what were your initial impressions? Uh, I'd actually never even heard about it before. I, the only reason I have the DVD is because I uh, bought some box set thing, like some guy was selling on eBay with a bunch of different anime in it. Yeah, like Crying Freeman and uh, some other show I can't remember the name of right now, but that was one of the shows that came with it. And I was like, Mad Bull 34, this looks cool. I wonder what it's about. And then I watched it, and it was kind of what I was expecting just based on the cover, but I didn't know how bonkers insane it would get. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, calling it bonkers, again, putting it mildly, but yeah. Bonkers indeed. I don't know if I like it or not. Like, it's kind of in that, like, in-between area where it's like, I don't hate this, but it's also like, who is this for? And that's all I gotta say about that. I first heard of Mad Bull once again from Anime World Order, because Daryl Surratt, who is the host of Anime World Order, is a big Kazuo Koike fan, and he's always hyping up Mad Bull as being like, just this insane thing that really needs to be seen to be believed. And I'm like, okay, well, Daryl likes it, so it must be good. And then I go around reading all these interviews, and I'm like, wait, all these reviews are, like, universally negative. Daryl, are you gaslighting me? Because, like, are, are you trying to steer other people wrong? Are you gatekeeping into seeing who likes Mad Bull and who doesn't? Like... What even is Mad Bull, based on these reviews? And over the years, I've seen people take shots at Mad Bull 34. Many people on the That Guy With The Glasses style reviews just tear the thing to pieces. I always meant to review Mad Bull, though, in a more objective sort of way. Not in sort of a, oh, haha, let's laugh at just how bad this thing is. Sort of a, let's just see if it's really that bad. Maybe there's some good in here. And I will say there is some good in Mad Bull, but the bad parts of Mad Bull are, um, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this is going to be a minefield, uh, a minefield for us to track through. Well, by the end of all four episodes, I can say that, yeah, I think Mad Bull does earn parts of its reputation as being a bad anime. But is it the worst thing I've ever watched? No, not even close. I do not mince my words when I say that I would sooner watch Mad Bull than something like, say, Rent-A-Girlfriend. Oh, yeah, I can, I can agree on that as well. Or like most modern isekai stuff. Or what I reviewed a few episodes ago, Guilty Crown. The show is bad in a way where it knows what it is. Like, it's gratuitous but in a way that's fitting for what it, the kind of thing it's trying to be. So let's start by ripping the bandage off with the animation. And yeah, this looks like it's a low-budget OAV. The washed-out colors, long panning shots of New York City. I will say this, though. They do capture the look of New York City from when it was made, like around the 80s when Scott Dinkins was the mayor. I will, yeah, I will say that going off of how New York looks in Apple 34, it does look like New York, like in the late 80s when it was just, you know, kind of a crap hole. It really does have that sort of grittiness 
make no mistake, Mad Bull is a low production values type of OVA, but it's also one where its low production actually sort of helps it. It's charming. Yeah, there's a certain level of sleaze to it, and oh, we're not too far from the sleaze. I've definitely seen worse. Oh, definitely. Worse from around this time period, I may add. Yeah. Like, the animation is actually more fluid than I would expect to see in something this, uh, dirty. <laughs> I don't think it's some of the worst I've seen. Like, some of the action, action scenes are decent. Like, they are decently done. But, yeah, for the most part, you can tell that there was very much a minimal budget the city you had to work with. It's not bad per se, but it could have been better. Yeah, there's better from around this time period, there's worse from around this time period. I will say I like the character designs, but it's largely thanks to character designer Keizo Shimizu, longtime veteran of the industry, did some work for Magic Bus and other studios, probably most famous for being one of the character designers on the original Legend of the Galactic Heroes, which his character designs Whoa. absolutely curb stomp the ones from Dinoe Teze any day of the week. I'm sorry, but I don't like Dinoe Teze's new character designs. They're, how do I put this? Too anime. It has like a, a, a cartoony, like, like an endearing factor to it. It kind of reminds me of like like a GoGo13 or something. Very much so, even though we don't have the beautiful Akio Sugino character designs for that one. There are some cuts, though, that look incredibly sloppy. But what I love most about this... The gore in this show. Matt oh, hell yeah. 34's <laughs> violence is beautifully over the top. It's just yes, badass it in the stupidest way. In the first episode, the moment Sleepy unloads his magnum into the guys and it just turns them into Swiss cheese. Like, the bloodiest <laughs> piece of Swiss cheese you'll imagine like, you know exactly what you're getting into. It's not as detailed as the gore in something like Blood Rain or Angel Cop, but it is so wonderfully over the top. I was laughing at several points throughout this OVA with how over the top the violence is. Nope. It's gory in a way where it's not, like, uh, like overstays its welcome. Like, it, it's, it's more funny than gratuitous. And speaking of which, I and I messaged Nate about this while I was watching the show. There was one part where I was where I was like, okay, this actually got a little bit better because at one point I was like, mm. but Sleepy kills a guy by decapitating him with a table. <laughs> at that moment, yes. At that moment, I thought, okay, this show is actually worth watching now. Just for this. My favorite well, kill in the whole thing is when Sleepy decapitates the guy, not with a table, but he shoots him three times and each bullet takes off a yes. different set of his head. Just that blows his head off. Oh, that's, yeah. that's right. <laughs> oh my god. Like, if you're going to watch Mad Bull for anything, watch it for the gore and the action scenes. Both yes. are like so is, worth it. Just based on the first episode, you kind of like think you know what you're getting into, and then each episode gets more crazy. Where like all of a sudden there's like androids and cyborgs, and it's the ridiculous. Predator, yeah, the like weird predator <laughs> green goblin looking thing. Oh man. Yeah, if you were expecting Mad Bull 34, uh, 34 to be in any way, shape, or form grounded in reality, yeah, you've pro you probably have not been watching it. What are you talking about? This is an incredibly realistic portrayal of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. I, <laughs> I, I do like how they had, uh, like, the rookie, you know, he, he was actually shorter than everybody else because he's Japanese. That makes sense. Dizabura Eddie Bon. So the violence is worth the price of admission, but there is a caveat. And oh, I don't want to cross this bridge, but it is the elephant in the room, and oh, we're really gonna put our foot in this. The yeah, this sex was... scenes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just. It's let's not just supposed get... to be, like, a turn on, right? <laughs> like. 
I don't think anyone would watch this and be like, wow, that's hot. It, it's either comedic or it's like, that's disgusting, but it's also supposed to be comedic. I don't... But I, for the most part, a lot of the sex and nudity in Maple 34 is skin-crawlingly bad. Yeah. There are plenty of people, many of whom are overeducated types who write for clickbait farms like CBR and the like, who talk about how sexist anime can be at points, or how fan service and sexy moments like these are problematic and it turns them off of watching certain shows. My complaint about the sex scenes in Mad Bull 34 aren't necessarily that they're sexist or anything. My complaint is, if I wanted to watch porn, I'd simply watch porn. Because, oh my god, these sex scenes are so tasteless. And there's a lot of them. Usually, literally, with prostitutes. So it's like, it's not supposed to be some classy, you know, emotional, affectionate thing. It's just dirty, gross sex. <laughs> It doesn't help you that most of the sex involves Sleepy, who isn't really a physically good-looking guy. Let's be frank here. I don't hate sex in non-H anime, as long as it's done tastefully. There's nothing tasteful about this show. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. This is not this the show shows, This show is as tasteful as a garbage disposal. <laughs> you can clearly tell that the animators who made this animated a lot of hentai i mean satoshi dazaki's younger brother osamu dazaki animated three separate sex scenes in golgo 13 the professional and those three are are way more tolerable than any of the sex scenes in mad bull 34 the way the lighting is handled, the mise-en-scene. Golgo 13 has sex with an auto mechanic, and it's all done entirely in silhouette with nothing but the lighting of, like, a neon billboard in the background. Yeah. Thing is, uh, yeah, thing is, the thing is, though, is that Osamu Dezuki is, like, and not to knock a Satoshi Dezuki, Osamu is a good director who is really good with cinematography and camera tricks and animation, in Mad Bull 34, you see it, oh, okay, technically you don't quote-unquote see it, it's not that graphic, but it just lays it out for you to see, and it is unapologetic. And it's probably going to turn off a lot of people. Like, even as somebody who has a strong stomach for this sort of thing, I was cringing every time you see Sleepy giving anal to a hooker. <laughs> I would, like, mildly chuckle whenever the stuff like that started, but then it's, like, it goes on for too long, and at that point, I'm just scrolling through my phone or something, waiting for it to be over. Kazuo Koike, as an author, is very well known for having gratuitous sex and rape in his works. But here's the thing with his manga. If you see a graphic sex scene like that, you can just turn the page and get it over with. Not here. Even when you fast forward through it, it's just really awkward. And more often than not, these sex scenes just feel like it's padding. I mean, the whole anime is basically like a 12-year-old's idea of cool. Oh yeah, sure, just throw, just throw in as much sexual assault. Ew, why the hell not? That's cool. Over-the-top violence, like, you know, muscly dudes and boobs. Like... <laughs> Uh, we'll get to uh, the author and his use of sex in the primetime discussion. Like, it's really a shame that the sex scenes are just so... Ugh. Oh. Awful. Because I feel that it undermines, like, any of the goodwill that I have toward the show. Because I do like parts of Mad Bull, but the sex scenes... And, like, I'd say the worst of them comes at the end of episode three... Because that one was supposed to be funny, but I'm like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the uh, the one that I'm thinking of is in episode two involving police. So I think we can discuss that a little. We shall. First, though, let's talk about the music. 
the music sucks. It's it either sucks or it's just forgettable. Did you watch the English track or the Japanese track? I watched English. Wait, is there a different uh, music soundtrack in both versions? Yep, and it has to do with the dubbing studio, Manga UK. Interesting. Oh, you have got to be kidding me. I actually liked the ending uh, song. I thought it, it fit the tone of the uh, thing pretty well, like that noirish the kind ending, of... Uh... The, the ending theme song is the only piece of music in Mad Bull that I enjoy. Manga UK was sort of known for producing English dubs where they didn't get the original music track. So they had to use like a session musician to make their own OST to it. And the English OST sounds like a low-rent Miami Vice soundtrack. Yeah, it is. As, as you said, William, it's very forgettable and really not all that noteworthy. Actually, I take that back. There were a few moments I recall only because the music did not fit certain scenes. Uh, more so if it was like supposed to be a really dramatic moment and the music is like not suspenseful or dramatic, but it just sounds a little bit more lighthearted. Yeah. I would say like it just some songs in the OSC just do not fit some scenes in the show. I would not be surprised if a lot of these tracks were stock. And I have an explanation as to why I think these were indeed stock tracks. But as for the Japanese side, it's not any better, to be honest. It's pretty much your stock late 80s, early 90s OAV sort of deal. A lot of industrial synth, a lot of mm -hmm. low-end Korg sounds. Although I will say, it's got some great ending songs, including Get Busy by James Brown. What? Okay. Oh, okay, you know what? That makes sense now, because I remember uh, James Brown showing up in the ending credits, and I was really confused. Like, wait, where was that song in the show the, the whole time? They probably couldn't get the rights to it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's manga entertainment. I, that, doesn't, that doesn't shock me. Interesting. I mean, even if the, the music isn't great, I do think, it, for the most part, it fits the tone of the show. I, mean, I don't, I mean, that is true, but it's still forgettable stuff, unfortunately. The remaining three well, EDs done by, it says that these endings were performed by a group called Misera, but one of the main people behind it was a guy by the name of Joey Carbone, who's done a lot of session work for artists like Elton John and many others in America, but he's also done a lot of session work for Japanese artists as well. And the other EDs are like these really fun, like, city pop or Euro dance songs. I recommend you track them down. They're pretty good. It's the only real music from this OAV that's worth remembering. Do we have any other comments? Uh, no. <laughs> we said enough that we could about this. Okay, let's head over to voice acting. Oh, this is going to be fun. Well, first, let's go through the Japanese actress. Well, first, let's get through the Japanese actors, because we're going to have a lot to talk about with the English dub. Daisaburo is voiced by Yasunori Matsumoto, famous for being Gauri Gabriov in The Slayers, Paul Wang in Get Backers, Jean Havoc in the 2003 Fullmetal Alchemist series, and the role that is nearest and dearest to my heart, Kosuke Matsumoto, a.k.a. Shinesman Red in Shinesman. Meanwhile, John Sleepy Estes is voiced by Akio Otsuka. I've gone over Akio Otsuka before. You know his roles. Solid Snake, Dr. Blackjack, Bato from Ghost in the Shell, Yujiro Hanma in Baki, Ryder Iskandar from Fate, and he is the current voice of Jigen in Lupin III. Perrine is played by Gara Takashima, famous for being Eri Kisaki in Detective Conan, Lebea Maverick in Silent Mobius, Dominique Royale in Space Adventure Cobra, and she is Julia in Cowboy Bebop. Naoko Matsui plays the news reporter Jackie Moyert. She is Sonoko Suzuki, also from Detective Conan, Robbie in the Galforce series, Ribbon in the Pretty Cure series, the titular Rem in Dream Hunter Rem, for all you Gundam fans, she is Rue Luca in Double Zeta Gundam, and Dorothy Catalonia 
in Gundam Wing. And finally, Mitsuo Senda plays Nickel the Electrician. He is Smiley in Sherlock Hound, Saitaku in Kingdom, and Goro Kanzaki in Zetman. And now we come to the dub, and uh... Oh boy. The dub. Like, what's to say other than... It's a Manga UK joint. Uh, it's really, it's pretty bad. Kind of okay in a few spots. I did thought that Dizaburo and Sleeping's voices were okay. But other than that, though, it's either terrible, laughable, incomprehensible. Racist. And in one, oh, yeah, definitely racist. <laughs> Only in one episode, though. I honestly kind of love it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it does add a uh, so bad it's good charm uh, to the show, only depending on certain scenes. Yeah. And yeah. only certain scenes. I'd agree with that. To give some backstory, Manga Entertainment, or Manga UK, was actually a subsidiary of the British record company Island Records. And because Manga UK had the privilege of being a part of a record company, they had their own studio and their own set of voice actors. And they ended up dubbing a lot of different anime. And most of them were crap OVAs from the 80s and 90s. They certainly did add to the charm of some of them, but like the acting is uh, all over the place. Sometimes it's as stiff as a board, other times, it's so over-the-top that you can't help but laugh at it. And I think the English dub, with all of its faults, really helps the, the viewing experience. It kind of helps the rougher parts go down a bit easier. And because it's a Manga UK dub, you can expect a lot of F-bombs. Yep. I mean, for me, it also just made sense to watch the dub, because it does take place in New York. So, English speaking would just make more sense. Well, their Cyber City dub also has a lot of swearing in it, and I actually like that dub on Ironically. Mad Bulls is more just all over the place. Like, you can clearly tell they're trying to do Brooklyn accents or something, and, you know, I give them an A for effort, especially to Alan Marriott, who plays Dizaboro. Uh He is the English voice of Scoop from Bob the Builder, and was also the voice of Akira Fudo in the Devilman OAVs. And unfortunately, he was also the main character in Junk Boy. Oof. Yeah, or as I like to refer to it, Mommy, can we please have Golden Boy? No, sweetie, we have Golden Boy at home. It's Junk Boy. But when it comes to these accents, I know Wayne Grayson. Wayne Grayson is a friend of mine, and you buckos are no Wayne Grayson. Some of them do try. But unless it's Perrine, in which case she actually lets her British accent slip out in one episode. Oh my god, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. The actress who plays Perrine doesn't even try to hide her accent. No, she doesn't. Don Enrico? If I remember right, he used to be the big crack baron down in Astoria in Queens. That's right. He was the mastermind behind the largest drug smuggling syndicate over there. And you think he may be trying to set up a new organization here in Manhattan? Uh-huh. I haven't got any proof, it's just a hunch. But I thought this Enrico was supposed to have died. Well, maybe. After the raid, he was presumed dead, but his body was never retrieved. I've often wondered if the bastard might have survived the explosion. And now you think he's operating out of Manhattan? Well, like I said, it's only a hunch, but it will be just Enrico's style. Yeah, so what's the Maya's reason for not looking into it then? Mm, good question. He's up to something. Like I said, in one episode, her accent slips out so hard, I'm surprised that they left that in, and it was like, no, we're not bothering with it. I heard an accent, but like, I thought it was like Spanish or something. I had no idea she was British. Typical manga quality. And then, of course, there's episode three where they have a bunch of members of the Chinese mafia and they have the laziest stereotypical <laughs> Chinese accents you will ever hear. Uh... And they are, yeah, they are uncomfortable to listen to. Mr. Jim. Happy Wong, I presume. 
Yes, that is correct. Now, I believe you have some business that you wish us to take care of. Maybe. Depends if your people can handle it. Listen, Mr. Zhao Liu Meng, our best assassins in business. We either fulfill our contract or else die in attempt. Okay, then. I want this bitch and three troublemaking cops killed. It will present no problem for the Zhao Liu Meng. There is only one reason for Killer to fuck up. He care too much for own miserable life. We not care for our own lives, so we never fuck up. You see? So who are the greatest assassins in the world today? Tell him! Zhao Yu Meng! Zhao Yu Meng! Zhao Yu Meng! Look, I don't mind the old me love you long time sort of accents in these old dubs. Like, I play the old Shadow Warrior, and John Galt just goes full ham playing Lo Wang with that stereotypical Chinese voice. I had no problems with Shenhua from Black Lagoon because that's a part of her character. And as for Wong Ling Fa from Battle Athletes Victory, okay, you got me there. That was uh, pretty bad. But like, these are so much worse than that. Mm -hmm. Mostly just because they don't even sound like they're acting. It sounds like they're reading right from the script with those accents. But that probably is what they did. And the subtitles have them speaking without your typical Chinese dialect. But in the dub, it's just, they're Chinese, so let's make them sound Chinese. And I'm like, oh my god, this is awful, and I laugh at it so hard. It would be horrible and hilarious if you put, like, closed captions on, and the subtitles are, like, in English. Yeah, just really broken English. Just, just you know, go the extra mile of being offensive. Sound like the show couldn't get any more offensive than it already currently is. I recognize a lot of other names in this. Like, what did you guys think of Sleepy's voice? Because Alan Wenger gave it all he got, but uh, he was a little too high for what Sleepy is supposed to be. He's definitely not bad. I mean, he's not good, but he's definitely not terrible. Like, looking at the character design, you would probably expect the character to have a, more of a deep, gruffer voice, but I think it works. You're expecting it to be voiced by somebody like Chris Sabat or Jameson Price. Uh, actually, I was thinking like a Bo Billingsley, but yeah. Oh god, Bo Billingsley as <laughs> Sleepy. Oh, that would be incredible. I think he'd do it, though. He has too much class for that. I know, I know, I know, but... I just think it'd be fun. <laughs> the dub is a hot mess, and I kind of love it. Yeah. Yeah, same here. So I think... I did, I did like this more than Crying Freeman. You liked this dub more than Crying Freeman's dub? Yeah. Huh. I've never heard it. Like, because Streamline Pictures tends to do good work, but I'll have to watch that one for myself. I wouldn't know, because I've never seen Crying Freeman. So now let's take a scalpel to this body with Mad Bull. And I talked how Mad Bull has a generally negative reputation. I think most of it comes from its author, Kazuo Koike. Now, a little context for Kazuo Koike and his work. Kazuo Koike was a part of what was known as the Gekiga movement in the late 60s, early 70s. This was a movement started by authors like Yoshihiro Tatsumi to try and push what could be shown in manga at the time. Because you have to remember, throughout the 50s and 60s, manga was seen as sort of like these comics meant for kids and teenagers. There really wasn't an adult demographic for manga like there is now. When Tatsumi started writing his stories and started publishing them through lending libraries, he wanted to give his stories sort of a gritty edge to show the realistic, dark underbelly of what Japan was dealing with in the post-Reconstruction era. You can read his works through some of Drawn and Quarterly stuff, and you can see that he's planting the seeds for what we know today as seinen, but for the Gekiga movement, authors were really starting to push the limits of what could be shown in comics at the time. Kazuo Koike was no exception. Of course, when people say that they enjoy the work of Kazuo Koike, what they mean is they love Lone Wolf and Cub. And rightfully so, because Lone Wolf and Cub is one of his most well-known and most acclaimed works. 
The problem with that is, though, is that they expect all of his other works to be just like Lone Wolf and Cub. In reality, though, Kazuo Koike isn't an auteur-type director like Akira Kurosawa or Federico Fellini or Francis Ford Coppola. Kazuo Koike is more like an exploitation director. Think the likes of Dario Argento or Brian Trenchard Smith. He doesn't make big artistic statements. He sort of makes stories that are meant to shock the masses. <laughs> yeah, definitely not the kind of person you watch for like high art. I mean, that'd be like watching uh, Naoki Arasawa's Monster and then having the next anime be like Elfin Lead or something. Oh god, Elfin Lead. Why must you torment me like that? I did read a little bit of his work. I read a little bit of Lady Snowblood, Crying Freeman, Color of Rage, and Some Wounded Man, and my thoughts on Kazuo Koike are, I think he is a great storyteller, but his works are not for the faint of heart. If you are going into any of his works expecting more Lone Wolf and Cub, you are going to be gravely disappointed. I haven't read any of his works unfortunately i do own uh, the lone wolf and cub movies on dvd including lady snowblood i have yet to watch the both of them but i am familiar with koike and i'm also familiar that yeah like nate has been saying yeah he doesn't care about you know making an artistic statement he just wants to make fun trash. he knew exactly who his audience was in the early 70s salary men Guys who are blue-collar workers. Guys who break their backs all day. Guys who want sex and violence, but, like, don't want to go to the adult theaters to go see it. So he would publish them through, like, lending libraries or more adult-oriented manga anthologies once those started popping up in the late 70s and early 80s. He's kind of like the Quentin Tarantino of anime. I wouldn't go that far. I think about... No. I would Maybe more Michael Bay. No, not even that. Like No, 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 no. You gotta go, like, really low to, like, very famous schlock directors. I've already mentioned the likes of Dario Argento, the famous Italian horror director. Brian Trenchard Smith, the notorious Ausploitation director. For an American example, Ooh. Lloyd Kaufman of Troma Films. I was just thinking that, yeah. Yeah, I think that one, I think that's a more closer comparison. Toxic Avenger. I think the other thing is, though, is that as trashy as Kazuo Koike's storytelling can be, he gets incredible artists to collaborate with him. Yeah, like um, Ryoichi Ikigami, for example, who did uh, Wounded Man, for example. And Crying Freeman, and Offered, and I think some other works for Koike. If you want to see just how great manga artwork can be, you want to look up Ryoichi Ikigami. I think he might be my favorite manga artist of all time. He makes these he's, beautiful photorealistic drawings. He's definitely deserving of his uh, his reputation. Not to go off topic, I've read one of his manga, one of the manga that he's worked on, called Sanctuary, which, by the way, was written by Bronson of all people. That manga, it's so fucking good. Again, don't mean to go off topic, but yeah, I just wanted to. Uh, just bring this up. This is also to say nothing of some of the other people he worked with, like Goseki Kojima on Lone Wolf and Cub, Samurai Executioner and Path of the Assassin, and Kazuo Kamimura on Lady Snowblood. As exploitive as Kazuo Koike's works can be, I think the artwork helps them go down a little easier. And I think having yeah. sampled some of Kazuo Koike's work helped me digest some of the rougher parts of Mad Bull 34. Because Mad Bull 34 is Kazuo Koike's attempt to make his own New York-based exploitation film. The likes of Maniac Cop, Chud, Death Wish, Miss 45, and Maniac. Honestly, I'm kind of uh, upset that Mad Bull didn't get more like insane as it went on like with, with the violence and gore it's like ramp it up each episode i was expecting like mr the north star levels of like ridiculousness oh 
I've seen scans of some of the later manga volumes of Mad Bull. It gets even more insane. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> I can believe that. Like, uh, that, that, that episode where he's fighting the uh, robot dude in the wheelchair or whatever, I wanted to see them, like, throw one of those soda bomb things, like, into his mouth and have his head explode, have his freaking eyes and brains shoot out of his head. Like, <laughs> I mean, just go with it, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, that is a bit of a missed opportunity. I think part of what helps Mad Bull a little bit is that it leans into its own insanity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, even for as lazy as Mad Bull is, at least it's fun every now and then. I was entertained. I got some good laughs out of Mad Bull, and I think that's the best I could say about it. It's, if nothing else, entertaining. I just feel that a lot of people are going to be put off by the sex scenes. Because oh, every time Mad Bull does something really cool, you get, like, sex scenes or rape scenes that just undermine what you just saw that made you smile and the, the sex scenes are pretty much like what we're going to be talking about as far as our big complaints go because my god they just feel so unnecessary and this isn't me like you know being like super prudish or like talking about how sexist they are i wouldn't say that it's just that they ruin the mood it's also, like, it's never just, like, okay, they're accosting this woman, and it's, you know, a vile, despicable act. It's always, they have to get their tor t clothes torn off. You have to see some, like, boobs and stuff. Y you never have Mad Bull, like, come in before that happens and, like, pull, like, a Robocop and start shooting their dicks off. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think another issue I could say about the the sex and assault scenes is that okay like okay at first you're like okay this is tasteless but at least i get the gist of what the show is trying to you know trying to do but as it goes on you just start to wonder if there was even a point to most of them like okay i get that these are terrible people doing terrible things to people who don't deserve it but there is just a much better way that you can portray these people as awful as they are without resorting to something so cheap. Or at the very least, just cut them short or, like, go to yeah. a silhouette or something like that. Because well, it, also, it just happens too often. Exactly, yeah. It turns into padding. It's literally like filling a quota. It's okay, we don't have any boobs this episode, let's go to a rape scene. But I think there's actually a point in one of the episodes where, like, the chick's getting raped and Mad Bull's like, wait, let's not move in yet. And it's like, they wait until her shirt gets ripped and then he's like, okay, let's go. To go from a negative to a positive, though, I do like the dynamic between Sleepy and Dizaburo. It's a really yeah. good good cop, bad cop dynamic. Dizaburo is, of course, you know, the easygoing Japanese rookie who is a bit hesitant to use force, wants to do things by the book. Sleepy, well, there's a reason why he's called Mad Bull. I, I really do like the dynamic between Sleepy and Desboro at first. Like, like just in, like in the first episode or two, like you got a really decent buddy cop kind of chemistry between them. I mean, sure, it's, you know, typical. You've seen it before, but, you know, it's still charming at least. I mean, if the show had actually gone on to, like, be more like i would have liked to have seen them actually growing their relationship becoming friends and we see them you know like doing stuff off duty instead it's like you know they're always just being police officers and he's doing corrupt shit and as a bro is just around for the ride yeah it gets to a point where the show is more content with just you know reveling in its own instead Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like that the show leans into its own insanity, but it feels like it can't get back into first gear when it comes to the slower moments. Yeah. I do like the scene where he's uh, has a bunch of grenades tied to his pubes. Oh, God, that oh, scene. That's the yeah. one thing that people... like. Even when I knew it was coming... Like, some people are saying, like, oh, my God, this is so awful. Why would you do that? Oh, blah, 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 blah. And I, I just look at that and I go, never change, Kazuo Koike. Never change. <laughs> Easily 
the best scene in the whole show. Actually, my favorite is not something that graphic. It's when we are first introduced to Nickel the Electrician, and he dumps a whole box of coffee cans out in front of Sleepy. And, you know, just to gain Nickel's trust. Half of those cans are normal cans of coffee. The other have plastic explosives in him, and if he pulls the wrong tab, it will explode in his face. And that scene does a great job of creating tension, and when Sleepy finally pulls the tab and gets the bad can, I'm like, okay, oh, that is so ridiculous, I can't help but love it. Yeah, it it can be cartoony in points where it's like, it kind of undermines... I mean, the story was never serious to begin with, so it's like, I guess it doesn't matter. But it's like, okay, oh man, if I choose the wrong one, it'll explode. And then it's just like, you know, a Looney Tunes gag, basically. And it's those Looney Tunes moments that endear me to it. I don't know, it it feels kind of like a a nothing burger of a show, because it's like, there's no stakes really and we and we don't really get to know our characters enough to really care no not really like the most that we know about sleepy for example is that he grew up in a bad neighborhood and that's it i don't think we even learn anything about dizabrew actually no we don't learn anything about dizabrew either he's the rookie that's all you need to know <laughs> exactly well he's also half japanese and half american but yeah you know it's yeah he does have something going on with Perrine, and there is a really nice scene where the two get married, and I should say married in quotes, and I do like how that scene resolves itself, but again, like, it, they don't really commit to it. Well, because it's like a moment where they try to have heart and, like, you know, like, make pull your heartstrings and stuff, and it's like, that's not gonna work, because we, we know he's not gonna die, for one, and even if he did... It's like, okay. Like, we don't know anything about Dizabur, so why should we care if he does die? Yeah, because he's the main character, I guess. He's the only one with, like, morals, really, in the show. I mean, it, uh, Sleepy does have morals, but they make no fucking sense. I thought Sleepy's moral was just, kill, fuck, die. I mean, I mean, I mean, he, to me. I mean, the show does tell us he's a good guy. After all, he... He uh, donates money to to battered women's shelters and to prostitutes with VD. Even though he stole that money from prostitutes, but we could just ignore that. Like, I mean, the show ignores it so. He fucks them for their money, only to give it back to them. <laughs> what a guy! Sleepy's a good cop. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's the only cop that gets anything done. Every other cop in the show just dies. Yeah, you know what? That's another thing too. We're told about Precinct 34 being like this tough precinct in New York. Sleepy and Dizerboro, uh, with the exception of the captain, are the only cops we meet throughout the whole show. Well, and there's the SWAT team. Yeah, but they just exist. We meet them in the final episode where they take on the Predator. <laughs> yeah. I know there's no connection, but, but like uh, SWAT Captain Bean... All I can think of is uh, Bean Bandit from Gunsmith Cats. And writing Bean. Yeah. I think this is a case where I can just overlook shallow characterization given the nature of this sort of OVA, but I feel this would have been better explored in the manga, but eh, you just kind of have to expect these kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, not, I mean, we're not expecting this show to be deep or philosophical thing. We knew going into it that it's just going to be really, really stupid. But I guess maybe we're asking for too much. I mean, I guess we just want an idea of what, you know, what our cast exactly is instead of just, you know, existing in the moment. I mean, by comparison, I will take anything that Yoshiaki Kawajiri was making at this time compared to Mad Bull. And yes, Kawajiri is famous for making a lot of exploitative works filled with sex and violence, but there's a method to his madness, and his works are far more enjoyable and far more endearing than Mad Bull. 
Also, a lot of the stuff that he's made actually looks good. Far, far better animated. Well, when you work for Madhouse in their prime, you are legally obligated to make stuff that looks good. If you don't, you get fired. Oh yeah, I forgot about the wonderful working conditions. <laughs> what else can we comment on for Mad Bull that we haven't commented on already? Uh, the final episode, perhaps? Oh yeah, the final episode. This is the most Mad Bull of them all, because they fight the Predator, and one of the suspects is a possibly deceased police officer named Kevin Murphy. No, not Kevin Murphy from Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks. It's a black police officer who looks suspiciously like Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and then, I didn't even realize that he looked like Eddie Murphy until he brought it up. Well, I mean, his name's Kevin Murphy. He's a black guy with a very distinct-looking mustache. I, I never even got that connection. I did. I, I was honestly hoping he would be like uh, Alex Murphy, and they'd do like a reference to RoboCop, just having him get it, like his whole body blown apart, and like that's why he's in the uh, predator suit. But that was not the case. If that actually happened, I would have to expect um, <laughs> to hear a uh, dead or alive for coming with me. <laughs> Drop it. Well, we didn't get RoboCop. We got the Predator. The Predator, who also kind of looks like the Green Goblin from the Sam Raimi <laughs> Spider-Man. I was gonna say, like, people say this is the Predator. It's like a mix between a Predator and the Sam Raimi Spider-Man Green Goblin. Like, it's got the head, and, like, it's green, you know. <laughs> Personally, I got more of a Xenomorph instead of Green Goblin. Oh, yeah, I guess maybe that's what it was going for. I mean, it was before that version of Green Goblin, but, you know, still. It gives off that sort of vibe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is there to say about that episode? It's the best well, of the four. I mean, it definitely is the best. <laughs> yeah, and how freaking stupid it is. I mean, as stupid as far as Mad Bull is gone. I honestly kind of wish we got more episodes just to see how stupid it could go. Like, next episode, Mad Bull fights, like, an evil clone of himself or something, you know? I want to read the no, manga like, after this. No, I was actually just taken aback at how surprisingly serious it gets halfway through um, its runtime. That was actually like, jarring for me. <laughs> I mean, jarring, definitely. I just found it really fucking surreal that... Nate, do you want to talk about, like, who the, um, the quote-unquote predator is in this episode? Oh, yeah, the twist that everyone saw coming? Yeah, that it was actually the dead cop's sister who wanted, like, revenge against, you know, the cops and the mafia for getting her brother killed, even though it was the mafia that got her, her brother killed. So she was just wasting her time killing cops for no reason. Yeah, well, and also, like, if, if there's any cop that she would want to kill, it should be Mad Bull, but she's also just killing all the cops. So it's like... It doesn't wow. make any sense. She's no. after Sleepy also, who tries to fight the Predator uh, while wearing hockey equipment. It's it's just <laughs> funny, like, how they're like, you know, uh, a, a big thanks to the 34th Precinct and stuff. But then it's like all, all through the show, you just see the cops getting killed left and right. It reminds me of like uh, the U.S. Army promotions and like Man of Steel. They're just like like go army and stuff, and then the soldiers getting wrecked. <laughs> oh, but God, this episode! Like, if Brigand ends with Sleepy, Sleepy confronts Cindy in a friggin' church, and it's like he proposes that let's get married. And then have a suicide pact afterwards so that they can be reunited with, you know, her brother in heaven. Like, Bull, are you okay? Do you need someone to talk to? <laughs> I can say at the very least that the direction of that scene was handled well, but everything else, I don't know. We've already seen him survive, like, a grenade exploding in his hands. So it's like, am I supposed to believe him getting shot point blank with a tiny little pistol is even going to do anything? 
I mean, like, their villains range from a big, bulky black guy with a rose tattoo in the first episode who loves raping prostitutes, a cyborg oh, mobster, Two-Face in episode three, and the Predator. The rogues gallery is just incredible. There were those guys who were trying to teach women self-defense using the Derringers or whatever, and it was, like, a ploy to rape them or something. That scene, when they're, like, at the shooting range, it makes no goddamn sense. Like, a Derringer only carries two shots, but then you just see the women, like, just constantly shooting without having to reload. Ah, you gotta love and that cheap animation. It's just funny, because they choose that pistol specifically, and, like, they even say, like, yeah, it's a two-shot capacity thing. But then you see them at the shooting range, and it's just like, blam, 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 blam. It's like, okay. <laughs> It's just like any other low-budget movie. It's like, oh, you got this gun that only has a six-bullet uh, chamber in it? Just shoot it off continuously for the next minute. You can reload later. It's schlocky, it's sleazy, but honestly, there are parts of it that I do like. Even if I'm hesitant to say it's good, because I don't think it is. Oh, no. Oh, it's definitely not good. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. Well, to go back to the ending real quick, like, what they're going to do that suicide pact, she ends up, like, letting herself get shot, and I'm just thinking, like, that is the dumbest ending. It's I mean, we one obviously of the know dumbest s- endings I've seen. I mean, we obviously know Sleepy's not going to die because he's the main character, but, like, did we really need to go this far? I mean, it's Cosmo going like, so, yeah. to die. <laughs> oh, here's what makes that ending just a teeny bit stupider. Sleepy walks off into the night carrying Cindy's body, and no one does anything but Perrine comments by saying, New York, it's an evil thing that eats people up or some deep bullshit. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with this show? It's just a depressing note to end on. And it's, yeah, it tries to be like really deep and insightful, like grenades attached to pubes. Uh. This show is obviously trying to have its cake and eat it too, and it fails amazingly. I get the feeling I would enjoy the manga a little bit more. I don't think that Kazuo Koike's stuff necessarily translates well to the animated form. I, it would have been interesting to see, like, this anime just keep everything about it, the same style and everything, but completely change the tone into something that's actually serious. Do we have any final comments? Like, what else can we talk about? I think I think we talked about everything. I mean, there's not much to talk about with a show like this. And yet we've gone for, like, over an hour now about it, because I think to segue to our final thoughts, is Mad Bull 34... One of the worst anime ever made. Uh, I would actually say no. I mean, it's a bad show. Yes, definitely. But one of the worst? I'm not exactly sure. I mean, it does a lot of things bad. Definitely. But I thought, but I have seen anime that are far more worse written than Mad Bull, surprisingly. Given its fault, at least Mad Bull can be fun on occasion. It's bad in a good way, for the most part. It's just a very mid-show. Yeah, I mean, given some of its more riskier scenes, I could definitely put this on... Like, I can totally see anyone putting this on for a bad movie night with friends. Grab some drink, and just waste three hours watching. Yeah, I mean, in a world where something like, you know... uh interspecies reviewers and whatever what was that other one <laughs> like this isn't Aero that bad sensei no the uh what was that one came out? or not just came out but the the healer that becomes like a redo of a oh. redo uh. yeah this is tame compared to that <laughs> god i would you know what i'm glad Nate brought it up i would rather watch this again than watch aramaga that's one I haven't seen. I actually wanted to see it. What's what's wrong with that? <laughs> uh, it's just, I don't know, just creepy and says BS, at least as far as I know. I've mentioned Anime World Order earlier, 
And one of the things that they've mentioned about Mad Bull was that it was a part of what was called the Manga Video Holy Trinity of Suck. And <laughs> the other two titles in there were Angel Cop and Violence Jack. <laughs> and compared to the other two, I would say that Mad Bull sits in the middle of the other two. It has its moments where I felt uncomfortable and I kind of cringed, but it was entertaining. And when it's good, I do think that you can get a good chuckle out of it every now and then. Because, as I said, the action and the violence really are kind of a selling point for me. But the action scenes and the gore really stick with you. The sex scenes, to me, undermined the goodwill. I'll say, like, the sex scenes, like, uh, when it's just him banging a prostitute, it's like... I can get a chuckle out of it just because it's so over the top. But when it comes to all the rape scenes, that's where I check out. I'm just like, you don't need to have one every goddamn episode. It's in the middle of the pack for me when it comes to the bad anime put out by Manga Video. But I can at least say this. I would rather watch both Mad Bull and Angel Cop than I would Violence Jack. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather get kicked in the dick than watch Violence Jack. I will say, and Angel far- Cop, I think, looks a lot more badass. <laughs> oh, oh, Angel Cop is easily the best of the three. Three, even if, even with its anti-Semitism. And at, le- and at least Angel Cop gave us. If this is justice, then I'm a banana. I'll also say this about Mad Bull 34. As far as trash from Kazuo Kurike goes, at least it's better than Wounded Man. I've heard the Wounded Man anime was really bad. Like, even people who like Wounded Man don't like that. Oh, God. I've seen Kaiser Bean's review of it, and it is one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. Like, I. Okay, like, having it described is one thing, but seeing it in motion, holy crap, even like Mad Bull at its worst, like in terms of animation, is somehow still better than Wounded Man. That is how awful this show is. So do we have any final thoughts on Mad Bull before we close out the show? Mad Bull is definitely bad, but it can be fun bad at the best of I haven't seen it in like seven years so doing a rewatch i actually enjoyed myself for the most part my thoughts are this when mad bull is bad it will really make me wince and i do think the sex scenes and like some of the dumber moments really kind of left me shaking my head but the entertaining portions of mad bull are very entertaining and i can totally get what magic bus was going for when adapting kazuo koike's manga it does make me want to read Mad Bull and more of Kazuo Koike's works because I do think Kazuo Koike is a legitimately entertaining storyteller, even if his stuff isn't for the timid. And he loves drawing scenes that may as well be porn, but aren't porn because he doesn't draw the dick. Honestly, I would watch more anime like this. Just if, I, if I'm in the mood for some dumb fun. Plus also, again, I know we've brought this up a few, this scene a few times before. Grenades tied to pubes. I can't, for the life of me, hate an anime that features a scene this amazing. Yeah, uh, who knows how, how far they could have gone. Maybe, like, one episode, he has fucking dynamite up his ass, you know? it's <laughs> The final episode just has, has Sleepy fight God. Why? I don't know. Maybe, like, Dizaboro from the future, he, like, it comes back in time, and he, it's literally just his head on, like, Mad Bull's body. I'm already thinking of, like, a Mad Bull 34 version of Doctor Strange's in multiverse stick. <laughs> Someone should have let Koike cook a little bit longer. Just get as crazy as you can with it. Like, have uh, Mad Bull just laying into some chick, and then, boom, turns out she's a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're getting the furries in on this, so why not? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're getting crazy cyborgs and shit. It's time to get, like, more supernatural. Get some, you know, mythical creatures in there. Have him get abducted by aliens, and he's, like, beating the shit out of them because they're trying to anal probe him. <laughs> I mean, for all I know, the market could do that. I don't know. And on that bombshell. If you are going to watch Mad Bull 34, unfortunately, it is no longer available commercially. Discotech did release it on DVD, and I am very lucky to own it on said DVD, but they announced in one of their streams in 2020 that they no longer own the rights to Mad Bull, and that DVD goes for exorbitant amounts of money. Oh, nice. I have it too. <laughs> I don't. I had to watch this on YouTube, surprisingly. I mean, the DVD does come with the original Japanese track, and you can hear all the original music. Not that that is much of an upgrade, because the music on the Japanese side is crap. But, hey, you get those awesome ending songs on the Japanese side, so hey-ho. I might rewatch it in Japanese. If you enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to give us a like, subscribe, leave us a review... You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, Apple and Google Podcasts, any place you get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so at Otaku Nate Show on both Twitter and Facebook. And you can follow me on Nintendo Wii on Instagram, where I am constantly posting photos of myself at or watching sporting events. Next time on the Otaku Nate Show, we go from something super sleazy to something, um... Something less sleazy, question mark? Because next time, we're going to look at one of the first anime that I watched beyond Toonami. And I think it was the first anime that I owned on DVD because I liked how it looked. And at the time when I watched it, I thought it was a pretty good show. But does it hold up to scrutiny? Well, we'll discuss it next time because we got it bad. We got it bad. We really got it bad. We are going to review Please Teacher. So you'll have to watch again next time. This is a priority one. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. Uh, this is William. And I'd be bye. Uh, this is Adam. Later. And we're signing off and saying, she'll thaw out if you stick your finger up her ass.